Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. It is the 23rd of October 2023 and I am Michael J. Sutton. Freedom Matters Today looks at freedom from a Christian perspective and we are currently in our series Freedom from Past and Prejudice. The last few weeks we have been looking at the identity of Jesus and we have been asking ourselves who is Jesus? One of the interesting things about Jesus is that he lived a life similar to the lives that you and I lead today, except he lived 2,000 years ago. He was deeply aware of the events around him. He was not an ascetic. He did not retreat to a monastery. But he lived among people. He was aware of their needs. He was aware of their problems. And he was aware of the world in which he lived, where he was born and grew up, and where he would ultimately die. And as Christians, we affirm the resurrection from the dead, the uh, belief that Jesus indeed rose bodily uh, from the grave and is now seated with God uh, at the right hand of God in heaven. But today we're going to take a break from our normal series and we're going to reflect upon two things, two events that have happened recently. The first event is the referendum vote in Australia for the, um, the, uh, the idea was to enshrine an Indigenous vote to Parliament within the Australian Constitution and this vote was overwhelmingly defeated at the polls to the point where the vast majority of Australians said no. What's interesting is that you were not allowed to really promote the no case publicly. I never saw, I saw one poster um, that supported the no case. The reality is, is from what I've heard and my own um, understanding is that if you did put a poster out the front of your house to vote no, your house would be vandalized uh, and uh, your car would be smashed. Those kinds of things. Uh, and also at the polling booths, um, it seemed to be that there were only uh, vote yes campaigners there, which is astounding because really uh, in a democracy, there shouldn't be uh, the, the uh, uh, posters of a particular uh, disposition uh, at polling booths. Ironically, they were, they were, they were everywhere. Uh, the polling booth I attended, there were huge signs in the colours of the Australian Electoral Commission, which was a, which is a purple colour, and there were um, posters in the same colour with the, the words vote yes. In other words, to convince people that the only choice you had was to vote yes. Sadly, even though they raise 60,000 foot soldiers, stormtroopers, whatever you'd like to call them, to vote for the vote yes campaign, it failed appallingly. And what it tells me is that the pushback against fascism has begun. This fascism that we've seen in the West, about which I've written in Freedom from Fascism, and um, about which many people have spoken. In Australia, there seems to be a pushback against fascism, but I'm not sure if it's permanent or if this is the last glimmer of resistance. I think probably what they will do, the establishment, since they despise us and they don't want us to vote, um, but probably turn the next vote digital so they can manipulate the outcome 
and our democracy will be gone, as it is gone in other places. But for now, it's time to celebrate the freedoms we have. Like every disease, there is the search for a cure. I've long argued that fascism emerges from a decaying democracy. But like everybody that resists disease, a nation can resist fascism like it did before. If we look at the rise of fascism in the 1920s and, and 30s in, in Europe, uh, and then later on as it lingered on in Spain and Portugal, and then later revived in Chile, there were always people who opposed it. There were always people who spoke for freedom. There were always people who fought against fascism. The war against fascism continues. The most violent war against fascism was in the Second World War, um, particularly between Russia and Nazi Germany. But the war continues. And in every case, fascism emerges from a decaying democracy. But what we've seen with this vote is that people of Australia have decided to stand up for what they believe in, uh, despite the establishment condemning them and calling them all racists and bigots. So that means the vast majority of Australians are racists, according to the government and according to the establishment. Well, what a disgusting, disgraceful indictment of a political establishment completely out of touch with the ordinary people. But, as I've said, like every disease, there is a possibility for a cure. The slide into fascism is by no means inevitable. Nothing is inevitable. Keynes used to say that the only two things that are inevitable are death and taxes. But everybody that resists disease, like everybody that resists a disease, a nation can resist fascism. The outcome will either be peace or chaos, life or death, hope or despair. Democracy is alive for now in Australia. Voting matters. Everyone's voice matters. And really, that's what this is about. And that's why they're so upset. The idea that your voice matters. Because for the last few years, your voice didn't matter. Your role in Australia is to sit down, shut up, and do as you're told. But what we saw in this vote, democracy is alive. Voting matters. So it, this experience, this event, prompted me and encouraged me, motivated me to write my own welcome to my country. The welcome to country is a statement that is strange in Australia. We don't really know where it's come from or why it's being forced upon us. We have this welcome to country idea at every public meeting, at every public event, every public seminar. You have to give a welcome to country. You have to say that this land upon which we sit belongs to an Aboriginal group and we have to uh, ask their permission to speak and we must applaud their ancestors um, and future leaders. So it's a religious statement. So we have to violate the Constitution, which says that there is to be no qualification for office, religious qualification for office, Section 116. So every time you have a public meeting, you have to affirm the religious superiority of a, uh, of a particular group. You have, it's, it's like the um, governments have got rid of the Lord's Prayer out of Parliament and they've just put the welcome to country back in there. They just can't exist in their little atheist happy playground, can they? 
they have to have something religious. So whether you like the welcome to country or not, know this, that the presence of God and the power of God is inescapable. And even though these fascists who insist on welcome to country every single time you open your mouth, they cannot escape the uh, the um, the divine dimension. They cannot escape the uh, spiritual dimension. These hypocrites, they hate Christianity and they hate Christians, but then they put in the welcome to country, which is also a religious statement, because when it says we recognize elders past and present, in other words, we recognize the existence of those who are dead, our ancestors who live on. And therefore, it is a religious statement. It is a statement of faith, and it's imposing a particular religious view upon everyone else, which, again, is wrong. You shouldn't impose your religious view upon anyone else, and governments should not be the vehicle for the promotion of a particular sectarian view. So I decided to write my own welcome to my country because Australia is my country and I'm not ashamed to be called an Australian, I'm not ashamed to be Australian and I'm not ashamed to live here, I'm not ashamed to have grown up here, um, but I will not apologise for things for which I am not responsible. And again, this is a much longer discussion, but let me read to you the welcome to my country. And I encourage you to write your own. In fact, what we should have done was put something like this in the Constitution. And that was the original goal back 20 years ago. It was to have the recognition of Indigenous people, Aboriginal people, in the Constitution. But the previous government, or many years ago, decided to tack that on to the question of the Republic. And when the Republican question failed at the referendum, so did the preamble um, constitutional change as well, which is a shame because it would have meant that there is already recognition of Aboriginal people in the preamble to the Constitution, but sadly that didn't happen. So there is important, it is important to acknowledge that and to have some recognition of the history of this country in our Constitution, which makes sense because it's in other constitutions as well. But I encourage you to write your own welcome to country. Uh, welcome to your country, because if you're from here, if you're born here, it's your country. Welcome to my country. I want to welcome you to my country, Australia, and my town, Sydney. Everyone is welcome here, and everyone is equal under the law, and everyone has one vote. Sydney is rich in diversity, resilient in character, and hospitable in spirit. In the beginning, this land was empty. No humans trod here. But over time, people made the journey. From all over the world they came. From the dawn of humanity, the trials and tribulations of empire, the pain of conflict, and the desire for change. They continue to come, to make Australia their home, looking back to those who came before us, rejoicing in our present identity and looking forward to the future with hope. I am a Christian and I follow Jesus. Jesus came to give us freedom. Many people don't like freedom and wish to divide us or force us to follow their laws or seek to take away our hope. History 
is the striving towards the freedom of spirit and the desire to live in a world God made, in a life shaped by God's love, with hearts changed by God's spirit, who in creation moved over the waters and today points us to the Son of God, through whom all things came into being. This is my country. This is my voice. This is my spirit. Freedom matters today, for you matter to God. Michael J. Sutton, October the 16th, 2023. The other thing I'd like to talk to you about today is revenge. I've written about revenge in my books and in podcasts in the past. Revenge is an awful thing. It is a common thing. It is as natural as breathing. It is something that shapes our world. And that continues to shape our world. The events of the last week or so reminded me of a book written by the amateurist Professor Gary Tromp from the University of Sydney. He was a great lecturer, one of my favourite lecturers, great bloke. He taught religious studies. It seemed to be an, a relic of the ancient practice of reading divinity at university. Religious studies was tucked away in an old, dusty, dark building. So maybe the university had forgotten about them. It happens. His seminal work was on the people of Melanesia. That's up in Papua New Guinea and thereabouts. One of his books was titled Payback, The Logic of Retribution in Melanesian Culture. Deeply ingrained in Melanesian culture was, and remains today, reciprocity. There are two parts to reciprocity. The first is the positive, and the second is the negative. The first part of reciprocity is giving to others what they could not possibly reciprocate. This is the heart of hospitality in Melanesia. You do not give to receive. You give to place another in your debt. And we see this echoed in, in many other cultures as well. Hospitality is, for the Christian, a desire to give, as Christ has given to us. But in many cultures, hospitality is about debt, it's about incurring the expectation of future gains. And this is in the case of Melanesia. The second part of this reciprocity is retribution, payback. When someone you love is murdered, you do not kill the murderer. You kill the one most precious in their life, their wife, their husband, or their children then the survivors will do the same to you, and so on, until everyone is dead. You should read the accounts of this violence online. Now and then in Papua, it is played out in real time, the most horrid crimes committed by ordinary people during a time of grief. Despite a century of Christian teaching, the logic of retribution and the impossibility of forgiveness is deeply rooted in contemporary Papuan society. 
So then Gary Tromp decided to apply this thinking more broadly around the world and he found that a similar logic exists in other contexts, in other places, in other countries. And I'm sure you'd be familiar with that if you come from one of those places. The idea of payback, retribution, vengeance, vendettas. It is easy to see the current conflict in the Middle East in this light. I believe that all nations existed like this in the past, and most do today. It is also true for individuals, families, and communities. But it is the law that prevents retribution in most nation-states, both modern and pre-modern. Even socialistic or fascist or communist regimes had such laws. There are severe penalties for the violation of these laws. And without these laws, there would be anarchy. The logic of revenge is deeply rooted in the minds and hearts of many, for whom there is no forgiveness, only blood. It's for this reason that the law and the police exist to keep us safe, keep us sober, and keep us sanguine. Most Western societies believed in the logic of revenge, and it is still a deep memory in our minds. We see it played out in movies when the goody kills the baddie and we breathe a sigh of relief. When we hear of a terrible crime, we expect the most severe punishment and we lament the weak sentence. But a competing idea, a competing idea emerged. And this idea challenged our natural thinking, our propensity for hate and our love of revenge. This came from Jesus of Nazareth whom Christians called the Christ, or Messiah. It was forgiveness. It was the idea that the actions of one man removed the desire for revenge. It was the idea that one man, who was killed by men who hated him, was able to plant a seed of hope in the world, an alternative to an endless cycle of death. This cycle of death is the logic of retribution. It is deep. It is part of our DNA. It is our default setting. There is no end. There is no peace. There is only death. The point of brutality is not to kill someone, but to destroy those who are kept alive, to deprive them of their humanity and thus win. Most of us did not know anything about Moses until the time of Christ. Throughout what became Western civilization from the 300s until today, these ancient ideas competed for the hearts and minds of nations. It was and is forgiveness versus retribution. Often, retribution won the day. But over time, the Christian idea of forgiveness of finding some way to absorb the pain in oneself instead of lashing out or seeking revenge came to the fore. For Christians, the logic of retribution died at the cross when Jesus died. Jesus did not say, do to others what you would have them do to you. Moses said that. Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment, to love one another as he loved them. The life and death of Jesus 
was to be the model for others, not our hearts. Our standards were replaced by the standards of Christ, a life of service, sacrifice and love. Even at the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Moses taught vengeance and revenge, blood for blood and a life for a life. This is an escapable reading of the Torah. Cities of refuge, the absence of forgiveness for intentional sin and death for the violation of several commandments. But the Torah was not unique. It was a Hebrew spin on contemporary laws and beliefs. In other words, the Hebrews were not the only ones with that kind of legal system, but the Hebrews were the only ones who lived in covenant with Yahweh. Their laws, while strict and arbitrary, were to be obeyed by a people whom God had shown mercy. Mercy existed under Moses, and there was even a tradition that stood against the rigour and inflexible justice of God in Deuteronomy, that God would take revenge and his people should rest in this divine expectation. But for some strange reason, many Christians believe that the law of Moses defines the life of a Christian. But they're wrong. Christ taught us to love others as he loved us, which is a life of self-denial, a life of giving and a life of sacrifice for all, even for our enemies. Christians are not to go out and take revenge. Christians get angry like everyone else, even fury and rage and deep pain. But it is the Spirit of God who restrains us and reminds us of the consequences of our actions. This is why I question the authenticity of the faith of many who willfully embrace payback over long periods of time. It's natural to want revenge, but over time, the Christian is supposed to be someone who would be content to let justice take its course. This is the power of forgiveness. The events of the past week remind me that Christianity is largely absent in that part of the world, a world of land, history, faith and violence. For those who follow Christ, ours is a burden of love, because God shouldered his burden of love for us. What was the burden of God's love? Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were once the enemies of God. We stood against him. And yet, at this time, God chose to show mercy and the greatest love. And what is our burden of love? Well, Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 47. You have heard that it was said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. These are difficult words. Difficult words. But life is lived at its best when the path is not easy. I would say with absolute confidence that you have not lived until you have something awful to forgive. And there it is between you and God. There is pain to forgiveness. There is loss. But how can we claim to love God if our compassion, if our standard is the same as the atheist who denies his existence and yet shows compassion? This logic of forgiveness and love is all that separates the West from the rest. Aside from this, we're all the same. There is no logic of forgiveness in the Middle East, or parts of Europe, or Asia, or Japan, or China. There is only blood, vengeance, and retribution. In those countries, the law stands against these cultural tendencies. And without the law, there would be complete chaos. The result of the last week or so in the Middle East will be more death, more blood, and more killing, until either side decides to stop killing, or there is no one left to kill. Enough blood has been spilt there for several hundred years of retribution. Get ready for it. The heart of this week's events is retribution, revenge, and payback. But the heart of the Christian message is that God killed the Messiah, his Messiah, so that we might be free, a death on behalf of others who are by no means perfect. The law of Moses taught us that there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, and the blood that was shed for us was the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything to be needs to be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The necessity for blood was at the heart of the teachings of Moses. So it was not just love, 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 but blood was required to pay for sin, both against God and against others. Whatever you might think of Moses, Moses understood the misery and the consequences of human sin, and he knew about blood. It must be paid. We in the West have forgotten about the ancient logic of retribution, and we despair and wonder why they don't just forgive and forget. Well, we don't. And we refuse to believe that our sins are so great that we need someone to die on our behalf. We believe that we are good enough for God, we are good people, and God is lucky to know us, and he is our father, and we are his children. But we fail to love others as he loved us, and in so doing, we prove that we are not his disciples. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. <laughs>